They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Please be seated. Today's passage from the Acts of the Apostles, written by Luke of the same gospel name, is misleadingly short. And on this Good Shepherd Sunday, if we weren't paying attention, we could miss it entirely. There is power here, descriptions of early Christian life that hold a treasure for us, particularly in a time when our understanding of community is being challenged and transformed. While the Gospel of Luke is concerned with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Acts of the Apostles, part two of Luke's writing, is concerned with the spirit-filled community that follows Jesus' witness. This early community of followers is marked by prayer, proclamation, fellowship, sharing of material goods, and deeds of power. It's a countercultural community, not only because of how it's being expressed in the world, but because of who lies at its center. The early Christians were glad and generous, not because everything was going well. They were glad and generous because they were being nourished by the spring that never runs dry, the indwelling love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This spring of love flows eternally and is available to all who seek it, no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. In the examination section of the baptismal covenant, which we sometimes hear in this space, the celebrant asks, will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers? This liturgical question comes directly from the Acts of the Apostles. Luke uses these very phrases to describe what life looks like in the early Christian community. The apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Let's look at each of these phrases in turn. The apostles' teaching and fellowship is shorthand for the proclamation and community that spring from Jesus' words and actions. The apostles, witnesses of the resurrection, recipients of the Holy Spirit, proclaim the gospel of Christ, a gospel that transcends human understanding. Now, in the days after Jesus' ascension, there were many attempts to change that gospel, to water it down, or maybe to make it more demanding. Pagan converts thought that the apostles' teaching was strange and superstitious. Super-apostles, as they were known, thought the gospel of Christ was too lax. The pressure to abandon the apostles' teaching and fellowship was immense, except that the witness of Christ was so good, so true, so life-giving, that it couldn't be destroyed. We are inheritors of this teaching and fellowship. The next phrase Luke uses is breaking of bread. Many people assume this refers to the distribution of communion, and while that's possible, it's more likely that breaking of bread is about eating at home, table fellowship, sharing what we have with others. It's practical. The gospel of Christ invites us to move our concentric circles out beyond our given social groups, beyond our stay-at-home partners, and extend hospitality to friends and neighbors. And finally, Luke emphasizes the prayers. 
Prayer brings the presence of Christ up close. A praying community is a powerful community. The apostles' deeds of power were not made possible by their own grit and determination. These deeds of power were made possible by the indwelling love of God, which they tapped into on a daily basis. Why do you think the apostles were able to speak truth to their captors? Why do you think the apostles were able to heal the lame? Why do you think that thousands were baptized in a single day? It's because their deeds of power were rooted in the prayers of the community. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke emphasizes the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. It's no wonder then that this pandemic has been so disruptive and disorienting, particularly for the church. It strikes at the heart of our understanding of community. Let's review a few of the ways that our common life has been impacted by the current health crisis. While we are accustomed to celebrating the Eucharist together, we now must do so remotely. While we are accustomed to hugging and shaking hands, we must now bow politely and keep six feet between us. While we are accustomed to crowding into St. Michael Chapel to hear the next teacher we now watch classes online. While we're accustomed to going to see our friends in the nursing home, we now have to rely on cards and phone calls. While we're accustomed to gathering in the hundreds for wedding and funerals, we now must limit the number of people at the graveside to 10. And while we are accustomed to holding dinner parties for large groups, we now limit dinner to those who live in our home. This pandemic strikes at the heart of our understanding of community. It is normal to grieve. Now, I know many say, I'm not grieving, I'm doing great. I'm just doing fine. And that may be true. You may not think you're grieving. But every time you're shocked at the numbers of sick and dying, every time you've bargained with your boss to let you get something from the office, every time you've cried when you're alone in the bathroom, Every time you've lashed out at a political figure on TV, there's a good chance that you are grieving. And why not? So much has been taken away. We need to acknowledge how hard this has been. Just because we express our sadness or our frustration doesn't mean we are closing our hearts. In fact, the more honestly we feel the pain of this dislocation, the more compassionate we will be toward others and the more grateful we will be for signs of new community springing up even now. As we seek to be faithful to Christ during this unique time, we can draw from that same well that nourished the Christians of the Acts of the Apostles. How are we engaged in apostles' teaching and fellowship? Well, this is for one, but also we listen to our bishops. George Sumner, Bishop of Dallas, has released a pastoral word entitled Communion, in the midst of disaster, a Eucharistic vision of our common life in the meantime. He makes it clear that while we may feel fragmented in our current worship expressions, we are a coherent whole when seen through the lens of God's economy. Or Michael Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, has released a statement entitled, A Word to the Church, What Would Love Do? And he makes it clear that the rubric of love will show us the way forward. 
Our bishops are ways that we participate in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. How are we engaged in breaking the bread? We're picking up groceries for the elderly and the vulnerable and depositing them on their porches. We're enjoying virtual cocktail hours with friends old and new. We're leaving generous tips for restaurant workers even when we bring the food back home. All of these are ways of breaking the bread in the sense of love. How are we engaged in prayer? We're calling parishioners and finding out how we can pray for them specifically. We're receiving prayer requests through our church website. We're reading Compline online and listening to the weekday podcasts. We are praying, and many of you, even as you watch this live stream today, are praying for our gathering so that we all might be united in Christ. When we follow the example of the early Christians, when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, when we draw from that spiritual well that never runs dry, we find that nothing can break our communion, not a pandemic, not a government order, not a pastoral directive, not even our own jumbled feelings. The love of God was perfectly expressed in the life of Jesus Christ, and that love continues to course through our world today. This is what gives us glad and generous hearts, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Amen.